0: Story time. So normally, when we record the show, I have all the guests record their own audio, which is kind of a pain in the ass. We decided to try this time uh, a web app called ZenCaster, which is basically it, it's an all-in-one like podcast production suite. But what I cared about was you could do a voice call, and it would output MP3s of each of the individual speakers separately. Which would save the hassle of everybody doing their own recordings seemed like a good idea. Uh, so we we did the podcast. One minor problem was that I had didn't realize how to configure my microphone until it was too late. So this is recorded with my laptop mic, that's a bummer. The bigger problem uh, was that Elena's audio was truncated to like she only recorded six minutes of audio uh, out of like a you know or in fifteen minutes of recording. So I sent an email to ZenCaster customer support and they sent it back saying, yeah, it's also truncated on the server. Sorry about that. Here's a, here's some JavaScript code you can ask that you can ask Elena to execute on her browser to possibly retrieve the full MP3 from her cache. Unfortunately, that also didn't work. And I just kind of gave up. And in fact, I recorded another episode with one of the same topics in it again Because I thought this one was lost to time. So you will find, like, there is some duplicate conversation in there. And in fact, I kind of used this conversation as, like, a dress rehearsal for that one. So I say a lot of the same shit. Uh, Then a week later, I got another email from Zencaster Support saying, Hey, we checked the Double Secret server, and here's your MP3 after all. Uh, So this episode, the audio recording quality is not as good as I would like. But I think there's some great conversation in there. So enjoy. Topic Lords.
1: Hi, I'm Shannon. I'm Elena.
0: I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Nope. (laughs) Elena. Would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug?
2: Um, I've been listening to some good music lately. I was recently introduced to Will Wood, and I've been enjoying his stuff.
0: What what genre is Will Wood?
2: Just like a bunch of different genres. I don't know. Okay, he, He's a singer-songwriter.
0: There you go. That's a good genre. That's a genre name. Does he play a guitar?
2: I think so. I think he may also play other things. I I literally just found out about this guy like yesterday and i've been like digging the music since then so i haven't learned a lot but i like it
0: <laughs> fair enough are we ready to start on starting on some topics
2: love topics let's do it
0: elena your topic is i went to burning man and now maybe i don't bite my, bite my nails
2: so i have like bit my nails down to the quick since forever my whole life
0: um wait the quick the quick is bad right that's yeah where, it's that's like, like
2: the, the edge of the nail bed like where you can't like if you bite anymore you're just like digging into your flesh you know like if you look at your nail there's like that little white crescent and then there's like the pink area and then it's just nail
0: yeah
2: i would bite it down to like the very very like edge of the pink area like there would be no part that was nail right and i would like bite the skin around them also and like my cuticles and just like anything in there i could bite i would bite
0: um, yeah. Well, well,
2: if you're going to do it, you go all the way. Right? Whole
1: hog. That's where they keep all the blood. <laughs> <It's
2: ridiculous. laughs> the seasoning. But so I went to Burning Man and this is like, you're in the desert in Nevada for a week and a half and it's over a hundred degrees and there's dust everywhere. So much dust. I have like a few different hypotheses for what, why maybe this is happening. But the dust is one of my hypotheses, because it gets everywhere. You like, have a fine coating of dust on everything, and my nails got filthy, which they don't normally do, because I didn't have nails to get filthy. Like You can't get crud under your nails if you don't have nails, or like an under of your yeah. nail.
0: This is what Burning Man, Burning Man is for. It opens you up to new experiences. Yeah,
2: this was not the new experience I was expecting. It would also, like, collect in, like, the area around the cuticle and just, like, in every little nook and cranny. So I just had, like, this, like, fine dirt just crammed in all around my nails. And, like, if it gets wet at all, it, like, creates this, like, paste, like, this mud paste, kind of clay-like. And... There's like products you can paint on your nails to make your nails bitter. So that like, if you bite them, you're like, oh, this tastes gross. I'm going to stop. And those never worked for me. Like I would feel like like
0: a Nintendo switch cartridge. Exactly.
2: I would like to be biting my nail and being like, oh, this sucks. I hate this. <laughs> but like, just, the compulsion was still there. Just still got you, huh? Yeah. Um, and like the, the big trigger for me was like, anytime like my, a, like your nail like feels like rough or snags on something. Then I'm like, oh, no, there's a texture here. I should get rid of the texture. But it turns out biting your nails just creates more texture on the nail. Oh,
1: I hate that. I'm always trying to get rid of the textures on my face or on my head. Right? And removing the textures, generally speaking, just causes a lot more textures to happen.
2: It's fucked up.
1: Does this have anything to do with the fact that the soil around there tends to be
2: caustic? I I don't know. Maybe? like. All I know is that I didn't put it in my mouth, unlike everything else that ever gets on my hands.
1: This was your your brain trying to protect you, perhaps. <laughs> maybe. Some part of it could taste that this would kill you if you ingested too much of it.
2: Yeah, or maybe I'm just, like, very sensitive to textures, or I don't, I don't know. But I would, like, have, like, a little ritual where I would, like, sit there, like, carefully cleaning out all the nooks and crannies of my nails with, like, Tweezers or something. Oh, so
1: you were you were still cleaning them. You just were not using your mouth to do it,
2: right? I wasn't biting at all. I was, and I was like still paying attention to my nails and like caring for them, but like in a way that's nicer to them than biting is. And that has basically carried over since I left Burning Man, and it's been like a month. Do you just
1: have like nail care products at your desk now and just go at them whenever you feel a texture?
2: Yeah. I had tried that before I like got like five different kinds of nail file. I was like, I'm going to try emery boards. I'm going to try like a glass nail file. I'm going to try like a diamond nail file. I'm going to get cuticle oil. I'm going to get this cuticle lab kit with like fancy little sticks in it and weird creams that I don't understand. None of that really made a difference. Like even when I would like really try to keep it on my person and like anytime I was like feeling that urge, that, like, you gotta bite. I would be like, no, no, we will file instead. And that, that never worked before, but for some reason it's working this time. I I did. I got some, like, little nail buffing cubes, and I have been managing to buff my nails instead of yeah. biting them when they feel rough.
0: So I remember seeing an essay about, it was like a fact or a guide of some kind, like on Game Facts mm-hmm. about how... To go to Burning Man without Burning Man without losing your main relationship, without like losing your girlfriend. <laughs> I thought you
1: were going to say your feet.
0: <laughs> this is a game where you lose your feet, and it may be that Burning Man is not just a place you can go to lose your SO. It may be a place you just you lose some aspect of your person.
2: Yeah, this is like a, an integral feature of my personality, my whole life.
0: Yeah, it could be your feet, or it could be your compulsion to bite your nails, and you never know what you're going to lose. Or it
1: could be your ability to love, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: You you don't know. You just go to Burning Man, and the man takes something, and you don't know what the man's going to want, or what the man's going to take, but...
2: You find out when you get there.
1: Somewhere out there, there's a man. And that man is made up of all of the things that he's taken from people at Burning Man. And that's oh, God. that man's personality.
0: I don't want to meet this man. <laughs> this man has too many aspects to his personality.
1: <laughs> he's probably a bit of a mess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's sitting there biting his nails. He wants to. It's, this is like a, a doctor. I am Pagliaki. He can't go to Burning Man to lose any of these characteristics. Oh, no, he's just stuck with them. Actually,
2: though, like, at at Burning Man, after they burn the man, the next day they burn the temple. And, like, the point of the temple is, like, you go there to let go of things. Like, a lot of it is people, like, mourning somebody, like, some loved one that they lost. It's a family member or a pet or a friend or a significant other. Um, Sometimes it's, like, a relationship they lost. Sometimes it's, like, something more abstract than that. So, I don't know. Maybe I left my nail biting behind in the temple.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you did. Maybe you've come up with some other compulsion or coping mechanism to, uh, maybe to replace that. Who knows?
2: I'm hoping it sticks, but like, because there's been a few times in the past where like I was able to grow out my nails for a bit and this feels like it feels different than those, but I'm not really sure how to put my finger on it.
1: Growing out your nails is overrated. (laughs)
2: <laughs> i mean it's nice to be able to like scratch your itches or like peel an orange
1: picket textures on your face that's why i keep them long
2: <laughs> yeah i i have been noticing that like i like i am scratching myself more and like it actually has an effect now
1: that that's the dangers the dangers of nails is that if you actually have them they'll they'll cut you I find that I have less and less nail than I used to because I I pretty much have had really long nails all my life, partially because I like to scratch and things. But now that I do a gardening gig, they break a lot more and get a lot more dirty. And so I find myself cutting them short uh, more and more often, which has been sort of weird because, like, it's probably not weird for you, but that whole area, like, of skin underneath Uh where the nail kind of covers... I'm not yeah. used to feeling that or having it
0: touch
2: anything. It feels weird for me to have it covered.
1: Yeah, no, I have the reverse, where it's just like, oh, that part of the skin is really sensitive. Have either of you ever, like, lost a nail or had, like, a big portion of nail that you had to grow back?
2: Yeah, I fucked up my toenail a couple times.
0: So my my pinky toe, just like as far as I can tell, is, like, just one big pyramid. It's like a, it's not a pyramid, it's like an extruded triangle.
2: Okay. A triangular prism.
0: I can't clip the nail, but I can kind of just kind of pull it off and it just comes oh, off God. in one mm. big chunk, but it doesn't have any of the other characteristics that you would associate with losing a nail, such as pain. Huh. So I, I might be like mischaracterizing this, this question. I have several times in my life taken a hit to one of my, one of my nails. And then like, there's this big bruise and sometimes like a chunk missing from the nail that like you watch them grow out over time further away from the, I've like
2: stubbed my toenail on things a couple times once on my own ankle which fucking sucked but you stuck your toe on your own ankle so hard it caused a crash yeah i was i was gardening and this garden the the garden i was digging in i was trying to build a raised bed planter so i wanted to like dig out the ground a little bit and everywhere i dug in this yard was like full of hazards like i don't know like what they were doing in that yard whoever lived there previously but it was like Broken glass and rusted nails and wire and shards of pottery and bones and heroin needles and yeah, it was just like wild. A- every shovelful had just so much danger in it, and so I'd be like carefully trying to like keep put the danger in its own pile. And, like so, I had like this little like table full of hazards I had dug up, and then like the big pile of dirt I had dug up. Um, but at one point, I missed one and I stepped on it. Uh, it was like a, a, like a curl of like rusty, sharp wire. Um, and I could tell as I was putting my foot down, like, oh, this is going to be bad. So I like, kind of like did a little hop to not step on it. Oh, sure. And then instead I just fucking rammed my toenail into the back of my Achilles tendon and sliced that open. And it also ripped the toenail off. Now, Elena,
1: you were barefoot. Uh, yes. See, that's where you went wrong. You were digging in the dirt. With tons of hazards in the dirt I know, and sharp objects. I,
2: I like the mud and the grass on my I toes.
1: Know. No, I am. I also have this problem. And I also had to eventually admit that wearing gloves and wearing protection is important.
2: I I did wear gloves, but yeah, I should have, I, I should have worn you shoes. You wore gloves, but you didn't wear shoes? Well, because if I didn't wear gloves, it would hurt. Most of the time with the shoes, I like, I didn't. Like I said, I was, like, putting the hazards in their own place. I could avoid them mostly.
1: This is, this is how you get tetanus. <laughs> this
2: is how you lose your toenail.
1: Yeah.
0: Are we uh, ready for another topic?
2: Sure. Oh, yeah, I could do more topics.
0: Shannon, your topic is pros and cons of vampirism.
1: Yeah. So I was thinking about it, right? And, like, I think a lot of people these days are like, man, being a vampire is cool. I want to be a vampire. You know they're sexy. Yeah, you and live they're forever and they live for exactly they live forever you
0: have you can eat people's blood
1: well, yeah, that yeah okay <laughs> uh depends on what you're into
0: sometimes you turn into a bat and...
1: <laughs> right, well, that's the question. I'm thinking about Dracula vampires, and I've been on that Dracula daily train. love me some Dracula daily.
0: is that a web comic
2: no.
1: Should I explain Dracula
2: explain Daily? Explain Dracula
0: Daily.
1: Oh man, Dracula Daily is this wonderful thing where every day uh, that there is one, you get an email in your inbox and it gives you the parts of the book Dracula by Bram Stoker that were written on that day. So the book is mostly like people's journals or news
0: articles,
1: um, mostly journals.
0: We're talking about, like, minus 300 years. Exactly.
1: So every year, Dracula Daily, once – when does it start again?
2: I think it started back in, like, May, maybe? It starts
1: in, like, May or something. And um, it'll start sending you the people's journals uh, on the day that the journal is written in the book, on the day that it's dated in the book, which, notably, is not actually the order in which the book is written. Um, A number of things are out of order from how they would have been in the book.
0: Oh, yeah. It's it's a memento for the 18th century.
1: (laughs) Essentially, yeah. But it's quite enjoyable. And, you know, it it just means that some days, you know, you log into your your email and you have a, like, one-line missive from some couriers saying that they successfully delivered some boxes of soil to Carfax, (laughs) (laughs) and thanks for the shillings, and that's all you get. And now that October is rolling around, you get, you know, pages and pages and pages and pages of journals about
2: vampires. Yeah, I heard there was like a 50-page update.
1: Oh, they're ridiculously long now because, you know, shit's popping off. We got vampires. It took until yesterday. It's been months. And Van Helsing finally, finally was like, hey, guys, I know we've literally already slain a vampire together, but now is when i am going to explain to you what a vampire is wow really after we after we killed the vampire you're going to explain what a vampire is anyway he lays it all out and i'm just sitting there being like this doesn't seem worth it there's like there's like there's so many things that vampires can do and also so many things that seem to affect them and speaking just based on the version, of, I guess, vampires in Bram Stoker version, I don't know that I'd, I'd be up for that. It seems, it seems like a lot. It seems like a lot to sign up for.
0: It, it's kind of a pyramid scheme, right? Where only the guy on top really has a good life.
1: That kind of is the vibe I get, that like maybe Dracula himself is doing all right. Um,
0: Everybody else is just
2: like a thrall. Yeah, well,
1: I mean, there's thralls that are like alive and and stuff like that. But even he, even Dracula has some serious, you know, limitations. Uh, but things that you know, there were a number of things vampires could do apparently that I didn't know they could do. For example, uh, one vampire uh, spoilers, I guess, for Bram Stoker's Dracula, written in 1807 or whatever, Lucy Westenra is sealed in an, uh, I want to say, iron. No, it was a lead coffin, and it's, it's soldered closed, but she can leave it and return to it at her leisure. What? How? Well, according to Van Helsing, she can get oh so small.
2: Like, like molecular small? Yes.
1: Yes, I believe that is what they are implying, is that vampires can just get molecularly tiny and slip between the solder.
0: Bram Stoker invented the plank length. <laughs>
1: Right, which like I had always thought like oh yeah, if you deny a vampire access to its coffin like then you're good, right? But not if they can just become molecularly small and slip in there. Yeah. Um they can also control uh god's meaner creatures, I believe. Only the mean ones? Only the mean ones.
2: Is this like an archaic definition of mean or like are we talking about actually like unkind?
0: Yeah, the average, the average animals.
1: They gave a couple of examples, like rats and wolves and owls, I think, were the examples given. Okay. So those animals, apparently, very mean. <laughs> but, notably, uh, the rats were waylaid by a couple of rat terriers, because one of our heroes was smart enough to bring a dog whistle, and the rat terriers just took them out. So, okay, that doesn't seem that powerful then. Garlic? You can't have it. can't eat it. Honestly, can't eat anything, but like... Yeah,
0: they've got allium sensitivity.
1: Yeah, oh. Huh. Well, yeah, they can't eat anything. They can't come out in the daylight. None of that. So they honestly, like, I mean, you live forever, but you lose a lot of hours.
2: On net you gain hours, but I do like the daytime.
1: Only if you survive that long.
2: You could sleep during that time, like...
1: Think of the seasonal affective disorder. I mean...
2: Yeah, I do feel like it sounds like a recipe for depression. These
1: guys with these vampires have got to be super depressed. Also, extremely bad halitosis. Just, like, super duper bad. Yeah.
2: Are we sure that this is a vampire thing and that just these particular dudes weren't bad at oral hygiene?
1: I mean, to be fair, they only described it in connection with Dracula and not with Lucy, so it might just be that Dracula himself
2: has super bad <laughs> oral hygiene. Dracula doesn't brush his teeth.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But I'm like, okay, so what do you get out of this? You get, he's
2: depressed because he doesn't get
0: sunlight.
1: Yeah. You get eternal life, right? Cool.
0: Which seems like a big deal.
1: Yeah, it's a big one.
0: That's that. Like, well, you know, some people want that more than other people. For sure.
1: And you get, uh you know, you get the ability to kind of mind control people. That that can be cool, but only only mind control people that you then also make very ill.
2: Oh, like ill how?
1: Well, you know, you suck out a lot of their blood. Oh, and then a huge con, huge con in the Dracula universe is uh, your immortal soul is doomed to hell for all eternity. Yeah. And that is stated as a plain plain fact.
2: I mean, yeah, like if if we're positing that hell is real, Then like that 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 is a big downer. On the other hand, like a lot of other people are doomed to hell if hell is real. Yeah. yeah. That's also
0: a big downer. It really is.
1: It's just a big downer all around, so I don't know, but they're describing vampires, and I'm thinking I don't I don't know why I mean I like I guess if you really, really wanted eternal life. But what are you even doing with that man? Like
2: you're you're hanging out with the Guys, the vampire guys.
0: So this is this is actually something I wanted to speak to specifically. Yeah, I was watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer with my wife. Yeah,
1: yeah, the the utmost source on vampires and <laughs> vampire lore. Yes,
0: right. And the vampires don't have any like hobbies. They're not good at anything. <laughs> like some of these guys have been around for a thousand years, so I. have I was also watching Groundhog Day with my wife. Groundhog Day, Phil. I think the character's name is Phil.
1: He'd be a great vampire.
0: (laughs) The groundhog might be Phil. I can't remember.
2: (laughs) Maybe he is the groundhog. Puxatani Phil.
0: The Bill Murray character by the end of the movie uh, has lived like something like a thousand subjective years and has learned a bunch of skills. Like he's learned jazz piano. He's learned ice sculpture card-throwing, and he's learned to see the good in the people around him. And the vampires haven't done any shit with their time.
2: Well, like, in, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, isn't it, like, a key thing that, like, you lose your human soul? Does that mean you
1: lose your desire to learn things?
2: Maybe. Maybe you just, you don't find anything
0: interesting. Maybe you lose your desire to be anything but a predator at that point. So, I uh, I think that in the some some vampire lore explains this by saying that vampires are kind of fixed in place psychologically mm. that like it becomes very difficult they're 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 in stasis they are like the same basically the same creature they were when they were turned uh-huh. uh, and learning new things is very difficult for them um. And that's a big downside Yeah, uh, reducing the value of eternal life a lot.
2: Yeah, like a big part of what I like about life is like doing new stuff, learning things.
1: So in fairness to Dracula, I guess, like Lucy as a new vampire really isn't living much because she's pretty much getting up every night and finding a child to eat and then going back to bed because that's all she has time for. But I imagine if you got yourself some time to work with, then you can do stuff. And Dracula, at a minimum, is really fascinated by the train schedules of London, apparently.
2: He's just going to do train spotting?
1: I guess he seems to like trains. It's a little unclear. Or if you've, I don't know if you've seen the 2020 Dracula that, I don't know if it was BBC or what, but in that one, it was implied that Dracula, by drinking John Harker's blood was able to learn English better, like he stole his abilities, just like the burning man stole your
2: <gasps> Dracula is the burning man,
1: Your <laughs> biting of the nails. So now if if you had the ability to take on the skills and powers of people that you ate, that's pretty cool. But that is
2: pretty cool. I
1: think that's a bit of a stretch. I don't stretch. love
2: killing people, though.
1: I don't know. Do you have to kill them? I don't know if you have to kill them.
2: Yeah, that's what I wonder. Like, I really feel like you could just take, like, a, a pint here, or a quart there, and leave people with most of their blood. Do you think Kirby kills the people he
1: eats? Yes.
2: I mean, what other alternative is there, unless there's, like, a Kirby dimension inside of Kirby? <laughs>
1: oh, is it, like, in, um, oh, it's probably, it, like, in Full Metal Alchemist the... when they get eaten? Sorry.
0: By gluttony. You, you tell your horror, body horror, bullshit first.
1: <laughs> you're just in like a Jonah's whale of 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 Kirby. Is that right? Yeah,
2: you're just hanging out with all of the other people eaten by Kirby in the Kirby dimension.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was imagining like your gray matter gets merged into the Kirby gray matter. Oh, you're like amalgamated hey. into the hive mind that is Kirby. Ew.
1: Yes, that's worse.
2: I mean, that one honestly kind of matches Kirby lore better because, like, you can see Kirby taking on the skills of of those he eats.
1: I'm just saying, if we're going by Dracula vampires, if I can be bested by a dude with a dog whistle and a couple of Jack Russell terriers, it seems not worth it.
0: (laughs) It does seem like a lot of work to be a vampire. And also, like, if all it takes is someone has to figure out how to best you Someone's going to figure it out, and then like suddenly your entire species is endangered.
2: Yeah, I think like you've got to keep people from wanting to best you, and that's difficult when you have to kill somebody like every day.
0: Yeah, you gotta you gotta offer value to the world that is greater than the value of one human life a day.
2: Oh man, what if Dracula were like the best doctor in the world, and only he could save the. Brain cancer patients, or whatever, but also he had to eat somebody every day.
0: I feel like we just described the HBO show.
2: <laughs> Probably.
1: <laughs> Probably. Yeah. One thing that, uh, I, this isn't really related to anything, but one thing that I have been enjoying a lot about reading Dracula is how excited Bram Stoker is about random technology of the day that he thinks is super cool like phonograph uh recordings of a diary. Oh,
0: this is I was thinking this was like 18th century but that's way later. It's 18th century versus 1800s.
1: Right. This is very early 1800s. And so one of the characters keeps his diary on on a phonograph on and it's on these little rolls and there comes a point in the book where the um is like hey, like, we should write down everything we know about vampires and like get it all together. Um, so I've taken all of my notes that were written in shorthand and I've written them out so people can read them and I'm going to need all your diaries too. And he's like, well, I have them on these, I don't know, phonograph reels or whatever they are. <laughs> Cylinders, I think right. he calls them. Cylinders, yeah. And then she goes, cool. So how do I look up like what date? We need to talk about it. And he just kind of stares at her and goes, you know, it didn't really occur to me how I was going to ever reference back anything that I recorded on this. Oh my God. Like, I don't have a way to put a date on it or anything.
2: He could have, have written a that. date on the cylinder. <laughs>
1: right? And I'm just sitting there like, Dr. Seward, come on. Um, but they're like super into blood transfusions. They go on and on. Wait, is this
0: character's name Dr. Seward?
1: Yeah, Dr. Seward.
0: Oh, see we're like a like in the direction of the sea.
1: Yeah, no, S E W A R D.
0: Dr. Right, okay, David. that makes more, way more sense.
1: And uh yeah, and they're really into blood transfusions. Um but their understanding of blood transfusions is put blood in someone who doesn't have blood. Uh the best kind of blood to put in is blood from manly men. Manly men? The manliest men. There is a quote that I kind of want to put in cross-stitch form, which is, God sends us men when we want them. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is when they are, that Dr. Seward and Van Helsing are out of blood. Arthur's already given his blood. All these manly men around have given their blood already, but they need more blood. And thankfully, a Texan shows up.
2: they're all putting their blood in the same place yes
1: they're all putting their blood in this one woman to try to keep her alive and they don't even succeed
0: oh, they didn't know about blood types
1: uh th- doesn't matter manly men strong men that's yeah. what you need god sends us men when we want them
2: it's raining men hallelujah
1: pretty much it's it's yeah that's a little bit the theme of the book actually uh, <laughs> it certainly seems to be everybody seems very taken by these manly men especially the texan But like, they, they talk a lot about various technologies. Um, They offhandedly talked about uh, affixing small electric lights to their chests to go explore a dark place. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like,
2: it's like a flashlight, but it's so big, you gotta carry it on your chest.
0: This is like a guy writing, writing a novel set in San Francisco and, like, talking about every single, like, scooter startup. Yeah.
1: Yes. No, it very much has that vibe. And then Van Helsing goes on this rant about, like, if you, if you don't believe in this, like, he, he just starts listing a bunch of things that seem unbelievable, and some of them are things where I'm like, oh yeah, like I've I've heard of that urban legend or that rumor, or they're you know they're more general. But then there'll be something really specific, like a spider that got so big that it was just a really big spider. You know, the big spider everybody talks about. See <laughs> yeah, that one. And then he just starts ranting about um, bats in Peru that are so big that they you know they hang from the trees even in the daylight, and I was like. Are you talking about flying foxes? Are you talking about fruit bats? Is that what you're talking about? But he was ranting about fruit bats like they were they, they could suck a man dry in a night or whatever <laughs> you know so it, it's just I don't know it's just kind of funny to like how much of the time because uh, like blood transfusions would have been at least between people would have been a brand new technology. yeah, uh, and he's clearly very interested in all of this stuff. It's just, it's just funny to me.
0: Are, are we ready for another topic? Yeah, let's do another topic. Uh, my topic is Krista and Tatiana Hogan are conjoined at the brain. They share thoughts, senses, and control of their bodies. So this is a thing that I found out about that I think is a super interesting example of uh, how the our our intuition for what makes a person can just be thrown completely by. By basic biology.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking right now about how like much of a nightmare it must be to do paperwork.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, I don't know, like getting your medical records good, or like your, like if you're applying for a job, like yeah, I'm I'm the one interviewing. This is my sister. Like,
0: well, except that, like, I conceptually it really seems like it's just one person with two bodies to me yeah like the way the way it's described although i haven't had a conversation with these people so i don't know like did they describe it as having a singular experience uh so the doctor this was like they were studying this um it was infants doctors reported that when one of them is tickled the other jumps and putting a pacifier in one of the mouths would cause the other to stop crying the fact that one of them was crying and not both is significant, though.
1: Hmm. So they have only... They have a singular brain, it looks like. I'm just kind of skimming this. One brain with essentially two full bodies, including uh, face and everything else um, attached to that, pretty much just joined.
0: They have two sets of eyes. Okay, so... So two faces, two sets of eyes, like just one, just a single brain.
2: Do they have multiple like ocular cortices or like how do the eyes hook up here?
0: Yeah. So I think, I think saying a single brain, what I mean is like they have uh, two, it's not a structure that you would say is like, this is a normal human brain. This right. Is it's like,
2: like two brains that are slightly overlapped in some way. That are That
0: are merged. Yeah. Huh.
1: But they seem to, is it true that they share certain, uh, I guess, experiences of, of each other's yeah, they share, bodies?
0: Yeah, they share experiences, yeah. Yes. Do they share thoughts? Yes, according to this. It, but, like, do they know which one of them the thought came from? I, I think it might be kind of muddled in there, you know? You know I, I really feel like this is, like, a, they are, in effect, a single system yeah that seems like they are a system seems correct
2: because like they are like together and sharing so much
1: so you know you think about too like um brains and how ridiculous they are at restructuring themselves i mean you, you hear about people who have extreme brain damage or or loss of brain material and then the remainder just kind of sometimes can just fix itself and and be like, "Oh, okay, th- that part was doing that, but now this part's going to do that." <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Know? So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if even if we were talking about something that was essentially a single, you know, brain that it wouldn't just be like, "Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to divide up my roles because I've got twice the body to work with here." So I guess
2: there's no reason to assume that like the ocular cortex I had I like I have right now, if I had another set of eyes on my face or wherever that I would it wouldn't be able to handle that load.
1: Right. It would probably just figure it out. So this is presumably a brain just being like, well, let me figure out how to operate two bodies at the same time. And like, you know, what is individual personhood at, at that point, I guess is.
0: Well, I think it, you kind of have to approach this like in this, the way you might approach a Turing test, where like this is a closed system, but but it is a system that is aware of itself and observing itself and can answer questions about itself. Yeah. So like the the Wikipedia article really only covers up to like age three, but they are now fifteen. Oh wow! I'm trying to trying to figure out um, find new recent information about this. It seems like somebody could like
2: interview them and ask them like what are your internal experiences like do you have the internal experience of being one person or two people or like you know like something in between that and what in between that
0: yeah what makes it difficult though is that they have they don't have a frame of reference i mean sure for for not being like this
1: well and also like Everybody's been referring to them, presumably, as two people.
2: Like, do you think that if you did an experiment where you raised a child as though it were two people, like, do you think that they would have the internal experience of being two people?
0: There was a thought experiment I remember seeing, I don't remember where, putting forth an alternate reality where uh, almost everybody is born with a twin, and culturally, these twins just go through their lives doing everything together. To the extent that, like, they are seen as being a single entity, huh? And like, when one if one twin dies, the other one is seen as like, like a like a significantly disabled individual, or like when someone's born without a twin, this is like someone that needs to be taken care of and can't fend for themselves. And I think, without actually remembering, uh, I think this was intended to be like. A metaphor for the two hemispheres of the brain, and how we could just as easily see these two hemispheres as being two individuals that are working in cooperation. Yeah. Which is there's some evidence for that being the case.
2: Yeah, split brain patients are pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. You want? Do you want to talk? I don't know if that's come up on the show yet. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, I'm.
2: I It's been a while since I've read about them. So like.
0: So this is a this is a treatment for seizures.
2: Like if you have a seizure that's like taking over the whole brain, you can stop it from spreading by just severing the connection, and then like it's limited in scope.
0: Right. Uh, and studying the the patients who have had this treatment applied to them, they will the, these people will just act like a person. Yeah. Like externally, norm, under normal circumstances. But if you separate the the inputs that you give each side of the brain, so like each brain gets one eye yeah i think each brain gets one ear is that right it's possible I, it's been so long and i think each brain gets like one hand as well it's each, each hemisphere Yeah, like,
2: things are like lateralized and like your right brain like hooks up to like the left half of
0: your body but one only one hemisphere gets to speak yeah there's i don't know i don't remember exactly how it div- divvies up but there's separation there such that you can like you can give written instructions to one eye, and it will car- that side of the body will carry out those instructions. And then if you ask the other hemisphere, why did you just do that? They will make something up. Yeah, they just rationalize it. Yeah, they will invent. Like I just felt like walking across. I felt like taking going for a walk because I wanted to stretch my legs. Yeah. And I, I, th- I honestly think this is like how brains always operate: is mm-hmm. they just do stuff, and only if a reason is prompted either, either internally or externally only then will they like invent a reason for why it happened. Yeah. Like we just have like a
2: storytelling part of our brain that tells stories about what's going on and it can tell stories about itself and the rest of the inputs from the brain are just like stuff the brain is doing.
0: Yes. Yeah. That stuff stuff is super interesting to me. There was a recent topic about, um, the attention model of consciousness, which I don't want to re- reiterate because it was just on a recent episode, but it's it's very interesting, and you should, especially you, and I think you'd be very interested. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I, I remember like listening to that topic
2: or reading about it. My theory of attention class in grad school was like one of the better ones I took, so I should check that out.
1: So, note I'm like reading a little bit more about these twins in particular, and it it doesn't seem like sharing a singular brain is really the The situation. It seems like they each sort of have a brain that just has a a connection between it. Um, And they give the example, for example, um, Tatiana can see out of both of Krista's eyes, but Krista can only see out of one of Tatiana's eyes.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: Tatiana controls three arms and a leg, and Krista controls three legs and an arm. Whoa. (laughs) Um, So they don't have the same the connection isn't like exactly the same it it seems to be yeah not fully identical it's more that they just have some kind of bridge between these these brains essentially huh. but i still do wonder if like in a vacuum of being treated as two individuals if they would see themselves that way or not uh not that you could ever have really such a vacuum
0: so the they probably have still have some degree of sharing thoughts like probably the the two the limbs the limb separation isn't as big uh, a coordination problem as it would seem because they kind of know what the other one is thinking I, that was what i would assume Yeah, it sounds like there there's like
2: some amount of like low level processing that they are sharing or something
0: yeah, it seems like they would have the. Uh, so there's the conceptions of telepathy. Uh huh. The most boring conception of telepathy is just like, it's just like a walkie talkie.
2: Yeah, you're just talking to a person with your brain.
0: Right. A much more interesting conception of telepathy is actually the merging of the minds where you are feeling each other's feelings and, and thinking each other's thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think what they have is a lot more like that.
2: Yeah, that's what I would expect.
1: Yeah, I get, I always get really weirded out by conversations about subjective experience in general, because um, it, you know, it it just makes everybody, I don't know, it just makes you wonder, like, to what extent is your own subjective experience um, relatable to, to other people or not? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember having a whole long conversation with somebody recently about whether, what animals, if any, have... Self awareness have have an awareness of themselves as a self, and getting into sort of that conversation of well, well, what is the self, you know, and how is one aware of oneself? And I was sort of arguing that anything that has preferences towards other individuals of its species, I don't know. I, I guess I was trying to argue that, like, say, a dog that likes another dog and doesn't like a different dog is recognizing that those dogs are independent entities with but then you know the counter argument as well they're just avoiding something that causes them you know a negative interaction and seeking out something that doesn't
0: the experiment that i always that i heard about as a child to determine whether a creature is self-aware like for example if you put like a pink puffball on a chimp's head and then you show the chimp a mirror it will like see the puff ball and reach up and pluck it off Uh, and that proves that the chimp knows that the other chimp that's what that's it that is itself Mm -hmm. and dogs will have this sort of similar reaction cats won't and i remember the argument being that like that means that cats are not self-aware but the other argument could be that cats just don't give a shit
2: yeah the cat may, may just be like all right cats
0: are not social
2: right well
1: it's also always bothered me because it's you know that requires a recognition of what a mirror is and what a reflection is and i feel like some something could have a conceptualization that it has a self without having a conceptualization of what a reflection is i think too about you know there's a, there's a number of um kids that get born you know that that don't have brains at all and that i always you know, wonder about if, if you're alive, but you essentially have no brain, uh, what are you? And I feel like maybe that sort of ties in a little bit to how much I think our modern culture thinks of the brain as, as the person, mm-hmm. as the self,
0: Yeah.
1: um, which I'm not, you know, I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of science to that, But, you know, it's not like we've had a circumstance where we've isolated a brain outside of a body and been able to ascertain its experiences. So who knows what a brain without a body would be? Would that be a self? Would it be able to uh, sense itself as its own? You know, what 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 would it even be modeling?
0: It would only be modeling itself at that point.
1: Right, but it wouldn't have any purpose to do that because the whole point of it modeling itself is to model itself uh, in relation to the world for the purposes of survival. And if it didn't have to do that, would it even bother to come up with a model of itself?
2: I think that like if you took like a human brain and did that, I think it's not a matter of bother. I think that that's just what human brains do. If you took like an iguana brain, I couldn't tell you. But, like, I think that, like, a human brain will generate stimuli and try to see patterns in them, even in the absence of anything.
0: Are we uh, ready for another topic?
1: Yeah. That one got existential.
0: Uh, So, this topic, we're doing a poem. All right. Uh, But the poem is kind of just an excuse to do another topic. Um, (laughs) The poem we're doing is called Great Cube Rectangular Light. And it is a poem... uh, from the TV show Clarissa Explains It All, where Clarissa has uh, written a poem generating computer program. And this is a poem that that computer program wrote. I guess I'll, I'll read the poem and then we can talk about Clarissa Explains It All. Who, who would like to read this?
2: Um, I, could, I could read the poem. Okay. Gray cube, rectangular light. Cantilevered rainbows, sunshine open, close open, close glass, square sunset, outside, 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 sunset inside, daffodils.
0: So I didn't know this about the show because I never watched it, but it is a kind of a big plot point or character point, I guess, that Clarissa is a programmer and basically an indie game developer because... Uh, and I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, but you can see she will process events in her life by making games about them. Huh. And her family play the games, and the games are shown on screen, and they're actually incredibly sophisticated for, like, what is, like, what, 1992? Wow. A lone kid couldn't make a game like this in 1992. Mm-hmm. But they certainly could in, like, 2000 with Flash, though, or, like like, once Flash was a thing, this was totally available to someone that age, Uh-huh. but it's just a super interesting thing for a girl on Nickelodeon to do in the early nineties. Yeah. I hadn't realized
2: that that's what the show was about.
0: Well, it's not about that. That's just a thing that that's one of the things that she does. Sure,
2: Like I was like aware that like, this is like Clarissa having a, you know, a teenage life in the nineties and right. But I didn't realize that was part of it. Right. So,
1: so was this poem generated in the early 90s then using a program that she wrote is is that
0: correct that, that's what happened in the fiction it's not clear if they actually wrote a program to do it because like these these games that they made are clearly just someone animated this
2: uh-huh
0: uh, to put in the show and it may be that someone and probably in fact probably is just the, the author of the scripts just wrote this poem in the fiction, This is done in response to a school assignment where she is assigned writing a poem, instead writes a program to write the poem, and then feels guilty about taking credit for it. Huh. (laughs) According to this, she eventually acknowledges the program at a banquet. So also she goes to banquets.
2: Okay. Was she like being awarded for her poem?
0: I guess. And has her computer deliver a reading.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Text to speech. Yeah. That reminds me of the scene in uh in the Dark Tower series. I, I don't remember anybody's name from that, but the kid like is going oh, there was crazy. Eddie. No, Eddie was the
0: There's 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 Roland. The,
1: the child was going insane. Oh, Jake. Yes, and he writes the tr- this poem about the train in the book. And it's a really good poem, but in his from his perspective, it looks like insane ramblings. Like he doesn't remember writing it, he doesn't know what he's dealing with, and so he gets called in after class by his teacher um, to talk about what he's written. And he sees it and is like, oh, my God, they're going to know that I'm crazy because I I don't know what this is. And then the teacher takes him back and is just like, you're a literary genius. This is the (laughs) coolest poem ever. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) I do feel like it be like that sometimes.
2: Yeah. With poems. No, I remember taking, like, poetry class in, like, what was it, third grade, fourth grade that we did that? And, like... Yeah, like like they brought in a special poetry lady to teach us poetry. And I remember I like made my poem like from the point of view of an ant in the shape of an ant and she was just fucking blown away. Like, you made your poem shaped like an ant.
1: What? And she like got
2: me submitted to the poetry book and I won like, I don't know, third place or something in something.
0: So I want to, I want to, Talk about the denouement of this story. Okay. okay. Uh, which is that your poem appeared in the book with the wrong name. Yeah, I was upset about that. <laughs> it was supposed to be ant traveling, and the poem is shaped like an ant. Right. But instead, it was called any traveling.
2: Yeah. Oh, come I, on.
0: Right. I was like, it, the ant was right there.
2: You
1: can see the ant.
0: But impressively like that they got they they had to relay out the text to be shaped like an right? ant they had to do the formatting so that type a typographer is that the word no a typesetter the typesetter was also a poet and it was your it was your collaborator
2: <laughs> i've never met my collaborator
0: and you may never
2: yeah but they contributed to my work yes
1: i remember writing a poem that um It actually, I can't remember like how it went exactly, but it it sounded pretty good. It was a pretty good poem, I thought. And so did my teachers and various people who voted to put it into the poetry book for that year. And I was embarrassed about it because people kept asking me what it was about. And you know how poems be like metaphors, whatnot. No, it was 100% the scene from Full Metal Alchemist where they burned down their house. Like that's, that's all it was, but I wrote it from the perspective of Al, the, the character who has lost his body. And so, you know, end of the stanza, I had like, if I still had eyes, I'd be crying. If I still had arms, I would hold you. If I still, you know, and so it's super red, like, I don't know, like a ghost trying to comfort someone who'd lost them or something like that. And all these adults were reading it, like assigning all this crazy meaning to it. And I'm just <laughs> thinking, Like I'm just a weeb that liked a scene from an anime and wrote a poem about it, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, what, what you have to do in that situation is you just, you're describing it's about the idea. And then you describe the scene from the anime in the most general terms, like, that, that a regular human would understand two brothers who have lost their
2: parents
1: burned down their house. One of them is a robot. Don't think about it too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I took a poetry class in college and had a kind of similar experience where like one day before class, I like realized I hadn't done the assignment, like 20 minutes to go. And so I just, like, dashed off a sequence of rhyming couplets in, like, the most boring, like, poetic format possible off of, like, a conceit that I had had kicking around in my head for a bit. And it was, like, I don't know, like, just, like, a story I made up myself about, like, okay, like, there's, like, the metaphor of, like, you're holding up a piece of paper, like, over your head to protect yourself from rain as you're, like, running through the rain. And it's not like a great protection, but it keeps the drops off of you, but also like the paper gets all like soggy and the writing on it runs and stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna write this as a metaphor where the rain is parental abuse and the piece of paper is your sibling. Oh god. Um and so I like wrote this whole like really dark poem. And then like at the end, it was like a sucker punch. I was like, aha ha, ha, and the, the name page is also the name of a person, page, haha, ha, get it. And I, I turned this in being like whatever I made this in 20 minutes and everyone in like my little poetry circle read and they were like oh my god I'm so I'm so sorry about your sister Oh no. <laughs> and I was just like I, I don't uh, I that she's not real
1: this is not a real person this is just something I made
2: <laughs> yeah I just it's a, I thought I was like what wouldn't this be fucked up
1: Yeah, I feel like a lot of the poems that end up in poetry books in in high schools and middle schools are the product of kids encountering deeper media and being like, man, wouldn't this be fucked up?
2: Right, like they're just trying to process it.
1: Right, what about this idea? That'd be fucked up, right? (laughs) But like the more I think I, the more I engage with poetry and think about poetry the more i find i think that two things either two one or two things make a good poem or at least make a relatable poem either being super vague just the vaguer you are the more people can assign whatever meaning they want to it yeah or being super super specific about something really really relatable Um, I heard one recently on uh, the podcast Wonderful by Griffin and Rachel McElroy, where the writer talked about the concept of your parents having an extra fridge in their garage in which they keep a can of maraschino cherries that nobody ever uses. And also just a bunch of like stuff that nobody actually like not the kind of stuff you you would just open a fridge and take it out and use it like all like bulk things and stuff like that Uh uh-huh and to me it was just so specifically relatable this concept of like oh yeah you know the extra fridge in the garage (laughs) (laughs) so i think that's what it comes down to is either you write something so vague that anybody can project their thoughts and feelings onto it or you write something so specific that if it does happen to uh, resonate with the person who reads it, it's, it's kind of like, it's like hitting a slam dunk. It's like a psychic doing cold readings and just getting a really good hit.
2: It's just, just this, this singular thing you have in common.
1: Yeah. So if you get a good hit, then it feels like, oh man, yeah, that was a really, you know, that was a really good hit. Um I don't know, huh? yeah.
2: You're just firing a shot into a crowd and it it hits that one person.
1: <laughs> right. Except then that person tends to be a lot more people than you think.
2: I think a yeah. lot of time
1: because our experiences aren't actually
2: that unique.
1: Yeah. I, I remember listening to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, they talked about uh, psychics in particular doing, um, doing cold readings and how one of them uh, was talking about one of the tactics they use is, in every show, they'll say something like, who's got the, the tiger with the baseball bat or something like that, you know, Uh it's not that odd. It's, it's something slightly less odd than that, but it's just odd enough that you're like, what the heck is that? And it almost never gets a hit. But the reason they do it is because when it does get a hit, if that weird thing, that super weird thing does resonate with somebody in the audience, it feels like, you are supremo magic.
2: Yeah. Like how, how could you possibly have come up with that?
1: Right. And if it doesn't, it's just kind of like, well, that was weird. And you move on and everybody forgets about it. So it's a really good tactic to like include something like that, that, you know, on the off chance in a show that somebody really resonates with, it's going to be this, like, big deal moment. And I feel like that's kind of how, like, the maraschino cherry poem was for me. Like, not that we had specifically a a can of maraschino cherries, but the concept of, like, the fridge, the extra fridge that holds the food that you don't ever actually eat. It's just there in case you need it. (laughs) You know, resonated with me a lot, so.
2: That's fair. On the other side of the the two poetry concepts that you mentioned, there's, like, some different fan musicians that I have encountered over the years of, like, people who, like, write songs about, like, the characters they love or the fandoms they love. And, like, you really have to hit a sweet spot there of being, like, just vague enough that it's not obvious you're talking about, like, a video game. Mm-hmm. but like just specific enough that pe- people can tell which video game you're talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it's it's really interesting like watching like somebody like try to like navigate that line where like you know this is plausibly or, like a relatable human experience anyone can have but also if you happen to be aware about the two brothers who burned down their house after they lost their parents then you're like oh
1: yeah I get it yeah I see what you did there exactly yeah I think I think your extended metaphor approach, too, is al- is also a good one. The one where, you know, like, with the piece of paper and page and all that. Oh, yeah. Because people love it when they can be like, it's about a piece of paper, but really it's about
2: child abuse. Yeah. And
1: people are into that, like, the, what is the dark, deeper... It
2: makes you feel clever, like you, you, you saw the meaning.
1: Right. Yeah. I think ones that yeah make make your audience feel like ah oh, you were smart enough to get it even when it's like oh, come on like obviously
2: i've had like since grad school or so i like i, I don't really write poetry anymore but like i've had this idea for a poem in my head for like over a decade now okay so you know how like when a, like a, a grain of sand gets into an oyster the oyster is irritated by the grain of sand and turns it into a pearl
1: mhm
2: But have you ever seen, like, sand, like, up close under a microscope, like, what it looks like? Not really, no. Okay, so, like, every single tiny grain of sand is completely different from every other tiny grain of sand. It's, like, a tiny, tiny seashell, or a tiny, tiny bit of coral, or, like, just fragments of things in different jagged shapes. And so, it's, like, every grain of sand is, like, this fascinating, unique, separate individual. But if it gets into an oyster, the oyster finds that annoying. And it just coats it in in itself, essentially, right? Like, that's what Nacre is. And then it just makes that thing like itself by just layering that on there. And I was like, that's such a good idea for, like, I don't know, socialization and, like, pressure to conform and, like, masking your inner experiences or something. And I, I never really went anywhere with it. But, like, it'd be such a
0: good poem, right? Oh, totally. That sounds like it would be very difficult to convey. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I I, like in my mind, the way that that would be structured would be like, like my mind immediately went to like a preteen girl being showed off at like a debutante ball and people saying that she's like the pearl of the evening or something. And then her and her mind making the metaphor of, yeah, but what is a pearl? You know, like. Oh, sure. I'm getting called the the pearl here. It's because I'm the one who's who's conformed the best, who's taken on the trappings of what they want me to be. That's
2: interesting. I would take like the totally opposite approach. I would be writing the poem as like I am describing a gr- like the a grain of sand in the process of becoming a pearl. Like just like technically like this is what is happening and that that's all that's happening on the object level is the actual grain of sand becoming an actual pearl. But I would like talk about it, like with the emotions I would talk about for a person having the metaphor happening to them. Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that means that you think that your audience is smarter than I think my audience is. <laughs> and
0: that's all the time we have a topic Lords. Oh, oh shit. Uh, Shannon, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet?
1: You can't find me anywhere. I'll never be caught. And
0: Elena, if this is something that you want, where can people
2: find you on the internet? I, I'm on the Topic Lords Discord. I occasionally pop in and say something. Thanks so much for being on.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: So we never got to zero inbox your fridge. You'll never get to know.
0: Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed Lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!